It's Monday, July 30th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, North Carolina's own Taylor Muckerman. Thanks for being here. I <laughs> yeah, appreciate it. I was just down in your state. Yeah, how'd it treat you? Uh, Asheville treated me very, very well. It's a popular city. It, yeah, for re- good reason. Yeah, it's a it's a great city. Um, we got big oil. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk big oil, and we're going to talk big machines. Let's start <laughs> with the machines, and that's uh, that's Caterpillar. Caterpillar second quarter. They kind of did everything, right? Yeah, they did. Like profits higher than expected, mm-hmm. revenue higher than expected. They raised guidance for the full fiscal year. And Caterpillar helping to push the Dow up a little bit today. Yeah, not something you typically see from a company this size, boosting guidance by seven percent and revenue across the board up. You know, if you look at their divisions, construction revenue, the biggest segment that they have as a business, up twenty four percent to almost six point two billion dollars. The resource segment up thirty eight percent, and energy and transportation up twenty percent. So, there's some big numbers from a big company and. Uh, Stock was moving a little bit more earlier this morning. Seems to have come back down to earth, but still impressive, um, especially when you consider the last six or seven months. This stock just kind of got caught up in all the tariff talks and and trade war talks, uh, and reasonably so because these machines do cost a lot of money. Steel is a big factor in these machines, and China's demand is also a big factor in China Caterpillar's performance. So. The trade, the trade war talks kind of hit the stock a little bit, but it still had such a great two-year run that investors that have been holding it or, or have been well rewarded. And and judging by the company's talk today, they they probably have a little bit more room to run. Yeah, even even when you figure, look, this thing was higher earlier in the year. It's mm-hmm. still up twenty-five percent over the last twelve months. Yes. and for a company of Caterpillar size, like that's you don't norm you don't really buy a company like Caterpillar expecting that kind of growth. So, and we we've talked before about the struggles that Caterpillar had for a good stretch of time. Mm-hmm. But when you hear the comments from management when they're and you're right, raising guidance that much, yeah, with so much to go in the fiscal year is a little bit of a surprise. But when they back it up with the talk, when they're talking about, look, our order rates are good, our backlog is solid. This is a business. They're not selling coffee. No, we're, we're, you know, it's not a consumer-facing business. They're making huge machines, and the orders are coming months, if not years, at a time. Yeah, so you got some good leading indicators with companies like this because it does take a while, surprisingly, to build a dump truck the size of a house. <laughs> but um, so you, you see a lot of the and, and the energy sector has rebounded, so that's helping. Um, construction across the globe seems to be doing well, and U.S. GDP had some great numbers. So. Um, Definitely, still still a market out there for these machines, and they're keeping up with technology. Some of their some of these big dump trucks that they've got uh, running around mines and, and oil fields are are almost fully autonomous. So uh, they are keeping up with technology there, and they're the market leader when it comes to this kind of stuff. And very big barriers to entry, as you can imagine, for the technology and just the scale that they have, and the finance division uh, doing all right there as well. So um, globally. And every segment performing very highly for this company, and as you mentioned, 25% in the last 12 months. And two years ago, the stock was about 80 bucks a share, and we're looking at it north of 140 right now. So impressive movement for a company this big. On a valuation basis, do you look at this and think this is still cheap, or is it 
it's less cheap, but it's still cheap enough. Yeah, no, I think if I was looking at this stock at the beginning of the year, I would probably I, I did and I, I stayed away. But um, the last six months have pulled back to a point where it's certainly worth considering if you still believe that global growth has has a couple years left to to continue this demand cycle that you've seen with Caterpillar. So last week was so busy in terms of earning stories that on Motley Fool Money, we didn't have a guest. We just basically did earnings for almost the entire show. And even with that, there were big, relevant companies that we weren't able to make time for. Yeah. And I wanted to get to two of them with you. Cool. And that is big. That's ExxonMobil mm-hmm. and Chevron. Uh, both reporting last Friday, uh, second quarter results for ExxonMobil and Chevron. ExxonMobil, Profits up 18%, but you look at the refinery business, you look at the chemical mm-hmm. business, there's still some weakness there. Chevron, their profit more than doubled from a year ago. Um, not that the stock took off, but it, it certainly went north, whereas ExxonMobil sold off a little bit. So we can take these together, we can yep. take them one at a time. Well, it seems like a little bit of a kind of a tale of two companies. You see um, both of them integrated oil companies, so you have the upstream with the oil and gas. Exploration and production, and then the mid, the downstream or the refining business, and then the chemical side of things. Um, and typically, you you see one of the businesses doing well, the other one doing poorly. But um, in in this regard, Exxon kind of missed expectations across the board. All three segments uh, missing expectations from Wall Street, um, which I mentioned last week. I'm not too sure how accurate expectations are in the energy sector these days, just because it it is still kind of in a state of flux with the price uh, ramping up and. But Exxon, um, the only super major that didn't have an announcement for a dividend or a share buyback program, uh, Chevron, after four years, reinstated theirs at about $3 billion. So, buying back about 1% of shares, not quite as big as Caterpillar's $10 billion announced uh, <laughs> share buyback program that they're going to start at the beginning of 2019. But Still impressive for Chevron. Cover both the companies covering their dividend with free cash flow, which is not always the case with uh, these big energy companies. So a lot of times they're paying that dividend out of debt. But uh, with the price of oil doing what it's been doing over the last few months, both companies um, free cash flow positive even after dividends being paid. So some room there. Chevron kind of done with its big capital spending on on long term projects. So. They're going to be relying more on the Permian Basin and oil production to drive the needle over the next year or so. Um, their LNG build out in Australia, pretty much done. So that's going to be coming online full force here in the next uh, few months to a year. Uh, but you know, if I was looking at either one of these companies to invest in, Chevron would certainly um, take the cake for me. Exxon seems too utility esque and uh, maybe not even uh, as strong of a performer as a utility. Just the size. Too hard of a ship to steer, and uh, capital spending not what it was several years ago. So long tail projects, I worry about that as well. Yeah, you look over the past year or so, and Chevron has absolutely been the better performer, mm-hmm. the better operator, yep. and it shows up in the stock performance where Exxon Mobil is basically flat over the past year, and mm-hmm. Chevron up about 16 percent, something like that. And I mean, let's be clear. Chevron's a two hundred billion dollar company. Yeah. It's not. It's not some young nimble startup. Super I mean, major is a very accurate description. Yeah. Right. Exxon Mobil, somewhere around three hundred fifty billion. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting because I remember years ago, you and I on this podcast talked. Once we saw the price of oil starting to come down, yep. 
And we were talking, among other things, about well, who's when you look out across this landscape, who's best positioned to deal with this? And mm-hmm. you said, well, it's the bigger players. They've mm-hmm. got they've got more in reserve. Literally, they've also got more cash. Yep. they can be uh, pretty. Uh, Pretty smart about acquisitions, mm-hmm. and uh, and this is one of those times when cash is king. So, I mean, Exxon Mobil is a behemoth that yes. has, has sort of earned its way to that status. But it kind of like, look, I'm not sitting here saying I think they're done at Exxon Mobil. <laughs> of course, I'm not saying that. Yeah. But it really does seem like they've got some operational challenges mm-hmm. that they have really not figured out in over a year. Yeah, you know, back then when uh, the price of oil was declining, you know, they were the safer place and you saw the share price of these big these big companies not decline nearly as much as some more pure oil plays in North America, but uh, they just don't have that upside movement uh, either. So that's where I think of these guys as more of a utility. Um, Exxon's become more natural gas heavy than it has been in the last couple of years, and so that might be a little bit of a reason why they haven't had that upside with oil prices coming back from the 30s and $40 range now up to $60, $70 range. Um, so that could be an issue. But yeah, if you're if you're looking for some growth outside of just a dividend check, these aren't the companies you want to focus on. But um, I do think Exxon has a decent long-term outlook when you look at the chemical side of the business, because I think. Regardless of what you think about the use of oil and demand for oil, the chemical side of things, I think, is going to continue to be a growing business. And they've been investing a lot of money down on the Gulf Coast for their their chemicals uh, business, which isn't nearly as big as the oil side, but I think it might have longer legs. I'm glad you mentioned Chevron's uh, stock buyback mm-hmm. because, as you said, it's I mean it's been years since they've done yeah. that uh, three billion dollar buyback plan. Although I did note that the company said. Uh, they were asked about is this sustainable, and they said yes. Uh, this is sustainable as long as oil market conditions don't take a dramatic turn yeah, for the right. worse. <laughs> so, I mean, that's smart of them. Yeah. You know, I, I don't begrudge them saying that. Although, I'm curious when you think about um, sort of the capital allocation of these two companies, mm-hmm. whether it is stock buyback plans or dividend. Plans. Mm-hmm. It seems like, despite everything I I just said about Exxon Mobil, they've got a better track record, certainly on the dividend side of things. Certainly a longer mm-hmm. track record, um, you know, because the the thing. And I was talking to Jeff Fisher right before we came in the studio mm-hmm. about this. The thing about stock buyback plans is companies announce them, and basically when companies announce that, it's it's inherent where they're. It's almost like yeah. Uh, this is our plan. Yeah, it's not written in stone. We're going to do this. And in the case of Chevron, they were asked about it. They're you know very specific. Mm-hmm. Look, we're we're going to do this three billion dollar plan as long as it's sustainable. But there are companies out there that announce it and then d- don't even come close to whatever is the big splashy number. Yeah. Um, and it and it again, it seems like Exxon Mobil has that stronger track record when it comes to allocating whether we're talking about buybacks or dividends. Yeah, well, and it has a lot to do with free cash flow generation. When you look at Exxon, it's had positive free cash flow. I mean, it ebbs and flows, but they've had positive free cash flow since at least 2012 where Chevron, you look at 2013 through 2016, they're in the red on the free cash flow line. So, Exxon has a little has had a little bit more flexibility there and um, that might have a little bit more to do with size, but you also have uh, Chevron was out there spending quite a bit of money on capital expenditure um, you know, I mentioned their LNG projects out in out in uh, Australia and elsewhere. 
not cheap projects that have been taking several years to finally come to fruition. And so that's maybe why their that's maybe why where their cash was going was these bigger projects. Whereas Exxon paying a little bit more consistent dividend and and on the share buyback side, so just two different ways of spending cash, and uh, we'll see how well that LNG uh, expenditure ramp that that Chevron went on for several years pays off. I think it will because um, you know natural gas and LNG certainly becoming a bigger part of global trade, and so well it'll take time to really prove that out. But I think that you just had two different uses of cash, and uh, Exxon decided to return more of it to shareholders. These are two of the biggest players in the industry. Mm-hmm. Is there an under the radar company that you like to watch uh, going into earnings season in this industry? Um, you know, BP is always an interesting story ever since the the terrible disaster in the Gulf of Mexico, and and um, so I like them. They streamlined the operations because they had to. They had to sell off billions of dollars worth of assets, so a little bit smaller of an operation than they used to be. But they just dropped ten billion dollars on North North American shale assets recently, largest M and A deal in the industry this year. So they're trying to get back to that growth status, and it's it's the company that I'm keeping my eye on in the, in the industry. If you want to get some oil and gas exposure. Uh, real quick before we wrap up, uh, shares of Viacom up six percent in the last three days. Viacom is the parent company of Paramount Pictures, uh, which of course uh, won the weekend with Mission Impossible Fallout, mm-hmm. uh, which I haven't seen, but I need to. It is it is on your in your future though. <laughs> it's, it's in my future. Yeah. Yes, um, uh, I got a kid at summer camp who um, is a huge Mission Impossible fan, and I said, okay, I won't go see it until you're you're back from camp. But um, this is one of those things where it's like, like you look at the numbers of this movie: about 60 million here in the U.S., over 90 million international, and it's like, oh yeah. Tom Cruise is the biggest star in the world. It's crazy. I was I was just gonna look up like how old the first Mission Impossible movie is. I think it's, I, it, I think it's 22 years. I, th- I want to say it was 96. Yeah, you're right. There, it just came up. Yeah, 1996. Yeah, good call. I mean, yeah. that's a crazy long time frame for one man to produce all these movies. I mean, yes. James Bond and changed did... over every three or four movies. Here, Tom Hanks is still 22 years later. And doing the stunts. Yeah. <laughs> still doing... It's like, there's no green screen. He actually is jumping out yeah. of the plane. It's wild. Or in the case of, what was it, the last one, you know, hanging onto the side of a plane. Which, of course, <laughs> is our logo here at Market Foolery. If you follow us on Twitter, uh, we've got the, uh, the, the Tom Cruise... Uh, from the last Mission Impossible, but of course it was uh, Tom Cruise was replaced by Wilford Brimley. But yeah, he's on the side of the cargo plane, right? Yeah, yeah. phenomenal. Uh, Taylor Muckerman, thanks so much for being Appreciate here. Appreciate it, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That does it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.